On this episode of Mike Coscarelli Rules, should we incentivize anti-vaxxers to get vaccinated? Is there a right side of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict? And Jay Savory is here to talk about art, nihilism, and where society might be headed. That's a tease, and this is Mike Coscarelli Rules. He is so cute. (laughs) Mike Coscarelli. Mike Coscarelli. (laughs) Mike Coscarelli is here as well. He's the producer for this failing fucking radio show. A big hand for Mike something Italian. Welcome to another episode of Mike Coscarelli Rules. I'm your host, failed comedian, Michael Anthony Coscarelli. We got associate producer Ronnie Side on the other end here. Um, She's not actually here, but she's here in spirit. Good old Ronnie. Thank you for joining us again. Uh, We appreciate it. As we march farther and farther away from any sort of normal scheduled programming uh, for the Mike Coscarelli Rules podcast, like I said, you usually you get in one a week for now, just whenever I get it done. Um, and there's just been a lot of personal stuff going on, but we are at a point where we're pretty close to being able to to do this a little more consistently, give you a couple more episodes a week, perhaps. And um, I think at some point we'll get there. But for now, this is your one for this week. Coming up in a little bit, a long conversation with an old friend. Uh, I'm so excited for you guys to hear this this interview because he's just unbelievable. He's so smart. He's so funny. He's so thoughtful. Jace Avery. Um, you can follow his Instagram, Sad Drawings by Jace. He's a cartoonist, comedian, uh, intellectual, overall super smart guy, and and we have a great conversation about art and commerce and being a creative person and whether or not that might make you naturally depressed, um, might naturally give you some mental health issues, uh, (laughs) which seem to plague all of us creative people. Um, And we also talk a little bit about worldview and how we see the world right now, because I do think that Jason and I kind of see things very similarly, sometimes very pessimistically, which is unfortunate, but um, it kind of is what it is. Jace gives a lot of his just sort of general thoughts on how things are and, and his outlook on on um, how society, at least in this country, is working right now. So very interesting conversation and and very funny. A lot of just love talking to Jace. I hope that he, we can get him back sometime soon because he's just the best. Um, couple thoughts on some things today before we get into that. Go over, do all the stuff that we need you to do for this show to prosper and flourish. Tell a friend, leave a review on uh, Apple Podcasts, uh, and we want to hear from you as well. You can DM me directly at Mike Coscarelli on Instagram. You could DM Ronnie if you feel like it at uh, Ronnie Side on Instagram. Uh, and you can email the show, coscrules at gmail.com, C-O-S-C, rules at gmail.com. Now, a couple of things to talk about before we get to Jace. For starters, uh, I was listening to my favorite podcast yesterday, uh, the Bill Simmons podcast, uh, hosted by Bill Simmons. It's on the Ringer Podcast Network. He is uh, a hero of mine in, in, in sorts. You know, guy started his own media company, left ESPN, started the 30 for 30 documentaries. He is a kind of a jack of all trades, someone that I kind of aspire to be like. He's a writer. He's a producer. He's a, I think in some uh, aspects, a director, a podcaster, interviewer. You know, he's funny. He does it all. Uh, And he sold The Ringer to Spotify for a lot of money. All these things, all things I would like to do (laughs) at some point in my life. (laughs) But uh, his podcast is great, mostly sports, but sometimes he throws some other stuff in there. 
and he has one of my favorite writers right now, um, uh, currently on the episode that he just dropped yesterday. Uh, this guy, Derek Thompson from The Atlantic. I believe we've actually talked about some of the stuff he's written about on this show specifically. And lately, at least in the last six months to a year, he's really been covering the pandemic. And on top of the pandemic, sort of the way that people are interacting and, and reacting to the pandemic. And the the main focus of this conversation ended up being about um, people who are hesitant to take the vaccine right now and why we, we sort of have seemed to seen a fall off in people rushing to get vaccines, which would de facto end the pandemic, seemingly. Um, and the conversation I found interesting because these two guys are talking about, you know, they both have their shots. I have I have both of my shots as well. I'm fully vaccinated. You'd, no one really needed to twist my arm to get it. I'll be 100% honest. When it was announced that we had a vaccine so quickly, I was a bit hesitant. I definitely didn't want to be the, the in the first batch of people to take it um, because, you know, vaccines usually take a little bit of time to to get together and, and, and released and mass produced. And this seemed like it... Um, came together pretty quick. Now, naturally, when you shut the world down and there's a, a global pandemic, you would think, yeah, there's a little bit more urgency to slap together a vaccine uh, and get the world back in motion. So I understand the urgency behind it, but at the same time, I'm not going to say I wasn't hesitant um, when the opportunity presented itself. But as you know, as I said, I, I wasn't part of the first batch of people to take it after a couple of months of seeing people and how they react to it and how they're seemingly, um, doesn't seem to be a whole lot of side effects or, or, or anything. And it does seem to work. You know, you don't have to twist my arm to take it. Let, let, let me put it in my arm. Let's get back to normal. I want to go to parties this summer. I want to start doing shit again. Um, and, I feel great about having taken the vaccine. Now, the people that haven't taken it yet, who are basically refusing to take it, uh, sort of in the anti-vaxxer camp, that they're not going to give it to their kids, they don't want to take it, they're finding now that they're having trouble coercing people to go get these vaccines. And there's been a fall off on people just voluntarily saying, it's available, let me go get it. So the conversation turned to them saying, how do we get these people to take these vaccines? And they were offering all these sort of solutions to say, yeah, well, you set up these camps and maybe, you know, each individual state can do something different. And, in, in, you know, in uh, in California, maybe you're offering somebody a glass of wine and a shot. In Tennessee, maybe you're offering or in Kentucky, maybe you're offering somebody a shot of bourbon at a bar and, and get your vaccine. And I got to tell you something, it pissed me the fuck off, not because of them, you know, they're, they're doing the smart thing. How do we get these people who are holding out to get the vaccine? I I understand the, the need to get everybody vaccinated, but this idea, the messaging that this is, is sending to people is that, uh, you can go ahead, be the biggest asshole you want to be, not ever consider the greater good, not ever consider other people in your life and we'll reward you. So this shot that we're all going to end up having to take anyway, not only are you going to get the shot that I took voluntarily and, and uh, willingly, uh, we're going to add an extra reward and an extra incentive to put this in your body. So all of these people, because this is the thing, the people that willingly took it 
who volunteered said, when can I get my first appointment? Let me go. I want to go get this shot as soon as possible. Are the people that took this pandemic seriously the entire time, the people who actually altered their lives for the past year and change, who just stayed inside. I have good friends in the neighborhood that I only saw a handful of times because they were so locked down and so neurotic and afraid of getting this uh, coronavirus and passing it on to their parents or, or somebody else that they locked themselves down. I saw, uh, I'll name names, my friend Leo Wolf, good pal of mine, stand-up comedian in New York City. Uh, if you've heard me do other podcasts, you've probably heard him on those podcasts ruining the show. Uh, but Leo was locked down with his girlfriend and, and didn't, he took this extremely seriously and I took it seriously too, but Leo was a step. He was a step ahead of me. He took it that much more seriously. You didn't have to convince us to go get a shot. We thought about, I mean, granted we were afraid of the the virus, but we thought about the community. I have roommates. I don't want to get my roommates sick if I can avoid it. I have parents. I don't want to get my parents sick if I can avoid it. We took it seriously. Nobody is incentivizing us to have to go get this thing, get this shot so we can stop the fucking pandemic. And this is messaging that we send to people all the time in life. Be as difficult as possible and people will cater to you. We literally, there's a global outcry. Let's get going again. Let's get the fucking pandemic over with. And there are so many people who are just saying, fuck it. Fuck you. Fuck you. I don't care. Make me. What are you going to do to make me get this shot? All of you idiots that got it willingly, willy nilly, you're stupid. You should have held out for more. You should have held out for a reward. Give me a fucking break. Go get vaccinated. Fuck this. Don't give anybody a glass of wine with their vaccine. Okay. Well, having said all that, I also want to let you guys know, I tried to do a an intro related to this Israel-Palestine, you know, the new conflict for 2021, the updated version of the uh, Israeli-Palestinian war. And I just did not like anything that I said. Uh, this is something that I I really want no... I want no smoke here because I, this is a, I am not cut and dry on either side. Really. I don't, I don't think, I don't think Israel, I think Palestine, the Palestinians are oppressed, but I think that they start up a lot of bullshit. And I think that that is, it makes it hard for me to just be all in on Palestine. Um, and I think that that's really all I have to say about it is a super complicated, uh, uh, historically, nightmarish situation that needs i mean i can't provide enough context in five minutes i just can't do it ronnie suggested doing this and i was just like yeah i got five minutes let's try it you just can't do it you can't do it and i also do think that in a lot of the situations over the last hundred years both sides have have done some bad shit um it does seem that israel is typically a little more aggressive with doing the bad shit um, at least legally, which leads to violence a lot of times. They 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 do a lot of decrees where they say our people are moving in, you guys fuck off, and then Palestine will kind of. But then when Palestine retaliates, a lot of times a church gets blown up or or a school gets blown up, and we don't like that either. Um, and I don't believe in blowing up a fucking school to uh, as a point of revolution. And that's really all I have to say about it. I hope that it cools down as soon as possible. It's not gonna. It's never 
been dealing with this shit since World War II. Since World War One, really. But, and that's really all I have to say about it. Just hoping for peace. That's it. Uh, let's cool it down. Hopefully Netanyahu hears this and he's like, wise words from Coscarelli. What a smart guy. There will be peace in the Middle East. Not going to happen. All right. Let's get to Jace. Jace is the man. Really happy he's on the show. Would love to get him back frequently. Um, he's great. I think I threw out the plugs already. At Mike Coscarelli on Instagram. At Ronnie Side on Instagram for producer Ronnie. Coscrules at gmail.com. C-O-S-C-R-U-L-E-S at gmail.com. So on the other side of this beautiful music, we have artist, comedian, and intellectual Jay Savory. See you in a second. And we're back on Mike Coscarelli Rules. Uh, I'm very excited for this next guest. He's an old friend, uh, and he's blowing up big time. Uh, If you have Instagram and you're a depressed person with uh, general contempt for the way the world uh, is run right now, you're going to love his work. Uh, You can find his Instagram handle at saddrawingsbyjace. He also uh, is the former host of a podcast that's run is complete, Brain Jail. You can go back and listen to all those uh, episodes. Very funny show. Uh, And if you live in the Los Angeles area, he's looking for roommates in LA as he heads back (laughs) to the City of Angels. Uh, I'm joined now by Jace Avery. Jace, right. thank you very hey, much for joining me. Just to clarify, no roommates. I'm not doing that badly. Oh, my bad. I'm just looking temporary housing while I look for my own apartment. So you really are, you have made it then. Yeah, I have made it in that I have an actual job outside of drawing <laughs> that pays good, me good money. Hilarious. All right. Well, right. let's start there. Uh, I, I don't know that I fully gave you the proper introduction. You are an artist. You uh, you, I draw stuff, yeah. You draw stuff? <laughs> you want to yeah. minimalize it? Right, yeah, yeah, of course, of course. Yeah. Uh, naturally. Um, you right. also, though, we met, we became friends doing uh, stand-up comedy in New York City. Yeah, back in like uh, 2014, 2015. Yeah. When I lived in New York. Yeah. Uh, yeah. we I remember hanging out at the Creek in the Cave, which is now closed in New York City. They moved to Austin, seemingly like... As it should be. Yeah. <laughs> It's weird, man. I drive by it all the time now, and I see that it's just like uh, like closed, and the storefront is there. And it's weird. I always hated being there. Oddly enough, I was one of the. I don't know how you felt about that venue in particular, but there was something that was like I understood its importance, and I I don't want to say that I always hated being there, but there was like there was like a dankness to it. It felt it did not feel like show business, which is one of the reasons why I think I didn't like it. Well, I think that's why I eventually stopped doing stand-up because I liked going to any place that didn't feel like show business. Uh-huh. And then I would gravitate towards any place where people would usually fail, but for whatever reason, I did well yeah. at that place. There was another place in L.A. that it was like L.A.'s version of the creek called Echoes, and everybody bombed there except me, so I would just always stay there. Well, other people were going to the comedy store and meeting Joe Rogan. Right. And uh, so they were much smarter than me, but I was I felt good about myself the whole time. Dude, it's a, it's a it's funny how the whole system works. Uh, comedy, mm-hmm. the, the type of people that end up being successful, um, mm-hmm. you start to see 
They're people that I, I think when you're starting out, and again, I think one of the reasons why we have you know remained in contact and remained buddies and stuff like that is because we have similar points of view in how we view... I don't want to be like like all fucking artsy fartsy New Yorker and say art, mm-hmm. but I think right. that like we sort of have a, a similar point of view when it comes to craft over really what show business and, and stand up specifically is, which is kind of like a, a dumb networking uh, um, right business where it's like you start looking at a lot of the people that really. Um, I don't really know what making it big means anymore because it's not you know it's not the. 60s or the 70s where it's like you right. know Mel Brooks starts off as a writer and then is a fucking movie star and like a like a power broker in Hollywood like yeah there's there's no moment where you're talking to a guy with a cigar and he's like you're going to be big right, kid. right. there's like none of that anymore which yeah. I don't know if you if that was your vision when you started but that was I I grew up here so for me like you know for lack of a better way to say it when you look at things in a very Jewish capacity like that, sure, that, right, that's like that's like how I always pictured show business. That it was like you know, like like someone discovers you at like a comedy club or whatever, and like you said, mm-hmm. guy with a cigar. That's like, hey, you're gonna be a star. You know, I'm gonna make you right. big. And by the time we were doing it, it it didn't really. That's not really what how it worked. And there is something to be said about a place like the Creek in the Cave which is going to be inside baseball for listeners outside of New York. But the, mm-hmm. these places that harbor these creative types that I don't know if you agree with this, but sort of have a bit of a confidence problem. They, they, there, there are, there were a lot of talented people. It's not to say that like everybody there was a right. loser, but there is a certain level of confidence that you need to go into, as you said, the comedy store or the comedy seller or something like that and be like, hey, I'm here. I'm great. Like, I'm, I can hang with these guys. And I don't know how you felt if you felt this way. I don't know that I ever fully got there to say, like, I can just go in and hang out with, like, somebody like, you know, Michael Che and be like, what's up, man? Like, we're equals, you know? Right, yeah. You start putting an accent on, speaking Ave yeah. the whole time. <laughs> yeah. And I don't know. Is that... Um, and no, because I'm joking because I see people do that. Yeah. I've seen people like do stuff like that where they're like, um, especially in L.A., I, I think like if, if somebody's like, let me first, let me explain the difference between, between L.A. and New York. Let me be the guy to do that. Please. I think L.A. is a lot more people who are good at that. And that's not even necessary to say that's a bad thing. You're more of a salesman type, you know? You're actually kind of smart about what you want out of life. And I mean, I don't like the things that they want. Um, and then New York is a lot of people like if the New York plot would be, I think, a lot of people who think they're Coltrane. Yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah, like it's like it's at the end of the day, it's just stand up. Yeah. You know, it's like just dick jokes and saying that you hate your wife and kids. Yeah. You know, um, which I love. But it, yeah, I think a lot of people. We started at a weird time. Like I started in 2014 and, uh, you know, it was just comedy was just starting to explode from all this podcasting and everything. Um, and I'd wanted to do it ever since I was a kid, uh, not to be a hipster about it, but I, I'd watched a lot of stand up as a kid, mostly Jeff Foxworthy because I was in the <laughs> South. Is that actually true? That's actually true. Jeff Foxworthy is a great comedian. Yeah. People don't realize that. With all um, those guys like are, this... man. Like, I know yeah. that, like, we, it, it's very hard to say that because we're, you know, like, like in the New York scene and stuff, it's like, man, I want to be mm-hmm. like David Cross or somebody cool. But those guys right, are yeah. great, man. And, like, even Larry the Cable Guy, like, I don't care that he has a gimmick. Like, he makes me laugh. <laughs> like, it's... Yeah, he's got some good jokes. Yeah. yeah. 
And now it's funny. You go back and watch all that stuff, and you're laughing actually harder because now it's very much stuff you can't say. say yeah. You know? Yeah. It's like almost like listening to an alt right podcast or something. Yeah. Watching Larry, watching Larry the Cable Guy stand up. Yeah. Because he does like mentally challenged guy voice and like Ethiopia jokes and stuff like that. Yeah, and and our, I mean, when when we were of age, where where we could. Um you know, where we were impressionable. And I think that like, like these comedians kind of made an impression on us. If you look back at any content, I'm not even just talking about particularly stand up. There, there seems to be this like point of view now. And, and I don't know if it's, I don't know if like, I don't want to say Rogan's to, to blame. I don't think he's to blame for mm-hmm. it, but I think that like the type of guy he is, has, he is, he's weirdly divisive. And I think that because he's kind of pivoted, he's a stand-up comedian, obviously, but like his, the thing that he's probably or arguably most famous for his podcast is not funny, really, in any way. Right. It's it's more meant to be thought-provoking and 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 all of that stuff. Well, and I think that's that's kind of what I think about stand-up. Sorry, I cut you off. No, I was Go just going to say I, I think that like when we got to. When we were when we were of that age, like to go back to the Larry the Cable guys and and stuff like that, like mm-hmm. I, those guys didn't want to be like like um, uh, public intellectuals or, or anything like that. That was not their priority. Steve Harvey, like I love right. the Kings of Comedy. I think that shit that special is amazing. I don't think mm-hmm. in any capacity Steve Harvey was like I'm going to be a divisive you know social right. and political uh, thought leader. Like he was just a comedian. And I think yeah, that exactly. some somewhere in the last five six years you know the the people like us who i think just wanted to be funny and and express ourselves mm-hmm. um got swept up by it's almost like you're taking a political stance now if you by choosing the comedians that you like yeah and it's it's because that's exactly right when i started out I, my goal wasn't like you know i hate traveling i'm like really scared of flying me too um like it's a real problem for me uh, I hate being alone, like in hotel rooms and stuff. There was no part of me that's like, I want to be a road dog comedian because I was really like, I I just don't mentally have it in me. Yeah, you know, I'm an anxious person. I get really depressed yeah. if I'm not around a lot of people. Um, you know, it would I would I would end up like Richard Jenny at some point. You oh, know, th- tragic, <laughs> <laughs> tragic. Yeah. Um, uh, for the listener, so if you we, don't know, Richard Jenny committed suicide on the road. Very funny comic, yeah. yeah. Did it on the road, yeah, too, yeah. which is, yeah, very original. Because uh, <laughs> I feel like everybody's, you got to kill yourself at home, you know? Yeah. You don't go on the road to kill yourself. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the road is already, it's like an act of suicide to begin with. <laughs> right, you yeah. Know? Just to pay the shipping fees to get my body back home <laughs> would be too much. I'm like, that's like $80 at least. Yeah. Uh, but now, so I, when I started, I just wanted to be a part of the comedy like community you know what i mean like you grow up and you hear about like you know the tough crowd guys in new york you hear about like the alt guys in la which i did really like back in the day you know that comedians you know i liked both of like i liked watching the black comedy that they would air in the south you know like once a year and then i did like watching the comedians of comedy yeah as well so i just wanted to be a part and around comedians and then you get into it and I think it's really social media is the, is the thing to blame because it's almost like we're we're around when the like the printing press was invented. Yeah. yeah you know, yeah. it's like I think I don't even know if this is true, but I feel like 20 years within the printing press being invented, like the Catholic Church and Martin Luther had separated into two different things. Mm-hmm. That's probably not true, but I feel like it is. 
I um, I mean, I feel like that you're not like that far off because wasn't the whole point right. of Martin Luther like he wouldn't even existed without the printing press. Well, yeah, that's because people couldn't – if you were poor, you couldn't read. It was only for rich right. people because they just – they had to write all their books. Right, right, So the right, printing right. press allowed information to be um, just presented and given differently, which is the same thing with social media. But now we're kind of all dealing with the ramifications of that. And then what happened because of that, people take sides. People go to the extreme left. And, you know, all of a sudden you're like, if you ain't non-binary, if you don't got pronouns in the bio, like, miss me with that, sis. And that's a white woman saying that. <laughs> yes. And then you're on the other side, you have you have people on the right doing, like, a five-hour podcast about how you can't say anything anymore. Yeah. And they are pay, getting paid $10 million a year to do that podcast. Yeah. And, and the end result is nothing is really funny at all. Yeah. And most people who I think – you know, like coming from the South, I have tons of friends on both sides of the coast, tons of friends still in Texas. Like we have our differences, but for the most part, people are kind of in the middle. Mm-hmm. And I think I think just like what's like what comedy is right now, like stand up in particular, I think it's kind of like like it's not great. Like it's it kind of almost feels like uh, it feels like like vaudeville. In the fifties, I have you know? always it said like that. A dying art form. Yeah, yeah, I, like, yeah, like like figure vaudeville or, or like silent movies, like the, all those mm-hmm. those uh, ca- actors that were like like ah the talkies, they're just a fad, they'll never last. And it's like, yeah. dude, if you ever watch, uh, I, I mean, Singing in the Rain was made in I think the early fifties, but like mm-hmm. they have that whole scene. That's like what the movies basically like like the premise yeah. of the movie is basically talkies are coming, and like they're at this party, they show the movie, and all these like all the executives and shit like that are like whatever, this isn't gonna be anything and then immediately like like act two is is like oh we're fucked like this woman's voice is bad people who are still doing open mics at this point are the are like the woman in singing the rain is like they're never gonna replace me (laughs) yeah exactly exactly right it's like lady you're done yeah you sound like an idiot i know and that that's the weird thing man it's like like we also i think when we started there was sort of like um uh I had a very romantic idea of show business which i kind of touched on before but like this idea When we were starting, because I think we really did start around the same time. Did you start in New York? You didn't start in New York. I started did you? in Austin in 2014, and I did it for six months, and then I was just like, "Well, fuck it, I'm just moving to New York because everybody sucks here anyway." Okay, so, yeah, because I remember, yeah. I remember you from pretty early on when I had, I had, I, had, I think I started in 2014 also. Uh, yeah. In in I mean New Jersey here and there, but also mostly New York. And I do remember right. like the, the 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 comedy mood at that time was sort of like um, uh, slobs were like, dude, like all because oh, Louis yeah. C.K. was like the guy it was the and post like Louis era. Yes. Yeah. So all of these people, there were a lot of little Louis running around and people like right. doing like their act, grabbing their stomach. It was and, it was the era was it was it was Louis. So you'd see a lot of sad dads, yes. which is at an open mic is is you want to put a bullet in your brain. <laughs> yeah, it's depressing. It's the guy at an open mic being like, my wife won't fuck me anymore. <laughs> and it's like, dude, you make $20,000 a year. You're lucky she like doesn't leave you at this point. Oh, I know, man. It's insane. And then there's a little – And you're at an open a mic. Bunch of little, yeah, exactly. You're not raising your kids right I now. Know. And then there's a bunch of little cananes running around. Yes. Canane had just taken off. Yeah. And they're just being like, oh, my – other people made fun of this, but it's like, oh, you know, I got my depression hole, a stuff of sadness burrito in it. <laughs> and I love Canane. Like, yeah. he's great, but it's it's the people, like, ripping off that type. So you would see it was it was white, sad assholes yeah. at every open mic for, like, the first year that we did it. Then, like, this new wave started to come in. I don't know if you feel that at all. 
like the social media stuff started to come in yes. on top of that. Yeah. Well, because I, and I think that like this is this is really the root of one of the things that I wanted to talk to you about because because you've right. by all accounts made a pivot. I don't know if I mean the pandemic has sort of stifled everybody from doing anything live anyway, right. so it's hard to even ask. Are you still doing stand up? Are are you interested in it? Are you going to do it? I once? never like. Yeah, I never like quit. Like if somebody asked me to do a show, I'd probably still do it. Yeah, it was like. It got to the point where, and this is like, if you don't know me, like this sounds like a very, um, st- like, oh, what's the word I'm even thinking of? This sounds like a very not humble thing to say. Oh no, say it, baby. We're not humble yeah. here. When I first, when I started, I look did at this well gold on my wrist. No humility, <laughs> motherfucker. Yeah, I'm talking to Jersey Mike, <laughs> the original sandwich bearer. That's right. Uh, when I started originally, it, it was just I just had success out of the gate. Yeah. like I always did well. You were, all, you were super this, fun. I always remember. It was one of the reasons why I, I you know. Right. The re- one of the reasons we were friends is that we were both funny. We liked hanging out with each other. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So again, you, something that up, humble to say, but like, you know, you don't right. waste your time but with I people mean, you don't I mean, think are funny. It's just the facts. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, I'm Trump now. I'm like, yeah, this is when you figure out I'm a hardcore Republican. I'm like, listen, we need camps. They're good. Yeah, uh, camps are good. No, I remember specifically going up to New York and a comic I knew from Austin, I won't say, was specifically like, he's like, you're going to bomb for a while here. Like, I'll just let you know that. And I went up at the Pear, which is a terrible open mic. Yep, Chris the Pear. And just like, just like crushed, like was the only one who did well. And I just kept doing well. Um and eventually I liked – I loved in New York. The cold really got to me because I'm from the desert. Mm. I just couldn't do it. Like that winter, it was – I think it was the worst winter they'd had in 20 years. But it was like – like I got really, really depressed. Yeah. And I developed like a drinking problem for the first time in my life Ugh. just being there yeah. that I carried into L.A. So I moved to L.A. because my brother wants to move there. I want to be with my family. Um, and same thing. Just keep doing well. Keep doing well at everything I'm doing. Um like I said, could have been a lot smarter about where I was going and stuff like that. Um, but just kind of got to this point where it's like once this like wave of – and like I said, not I'm not a, like a hardcore conservative guy. But once this wave of like, like fuck white guys started to come up more and more, it just kind of became evident like, oh, there's – we're not getting anything. Yeah. Like there's no end to this road. And not only that, there's so many people I hate doing stand-up. And also there's so many people who hate me just because I'm trying to do what I think is good comedy. Yeah. And I'm a little, you know, I'm a, I'm, I'm kind of a pussy. So I, <laughs> I was just like, well, there's no benefit really. Yeah. Um, a lot of people hate me for no reason, yeah. even though a lot of people like me. Um, and I'm spending all my time, like I'm spending my entire twenties doing this. Yeah. And so I kind of got to a point where, you know, me and Ben, like my brother, you know, because we both had a little bit of success, like pivoting to online stuff. Yeah. We actually sat down and we were literally like, OK, what do we do? Like, you know, and this is a quote Ben had. Um, this is you like guys had a, like a literal conversation. Like, dude, what? We, we had little we had many conversations yeah. about this because it's like, what are we going to, you know, because I think like we're not the type of people where it's like, well, I'm just JK living, you know? I know. Yeah. It's like. We're, we're just like, no, we have to like, like, I want to accomplish things with my life yeah. or like figure out what I should be doing. And we said, we kept talking about it. And one of the things we always said was like, well, if you're playing a crooked game, pick a different game, you know? Right. And I've been drawing on and off my whole life. Like Ben got into, started working with Tim, producing his videos and stuff like that. And that took off. And I was, I've been drawing my entire life and... Friends just kept believing me, like, oh, you should upload stuff. And then I was like, nah. 
And then I saw other comics were starting to do it, so I was like, fine. And then I just started doing it like every day. Mm-hmm. And not to say it's like a huge thing, but I have like a little like following, which I really like. You got a pretty big. Like, I, I just mean, kept dude, doing it. It's pretty. At least from the outside looking in, it looks right. sizable. You know. It, yeah, it's, it's sizable. Yeah, yeah. It's like I think I have like almost like like 18k on Instagram or something like that, which it's is big. like you can. It'll keep if I keep working, it'll keep growing, and maybe I can turn it into a job or. You know, when I go back to L.A., I'll probably start a podcast where I'll try to get Patreon stuff set up. Yeah. Like, actually, you know, it, it was such a fight to get to 10K, and I got to 10K, like, uh, two months ago, mm-hmm. and I'm already almost at 20. Yeah. So you see the exponential growth on top of that, but it was literally, like, it was sitting down and being like, okay, I still love making stuff. Right. I still think I'm funny, and I have a voice to say. This thing is clearly dead. I can face it, or I can be, like, one of the many people I know who's... They're gonna go do open mics after the pandemic, and it's like, like what, bro? What are you doing? I know. Like, it's nothing. It's not gonna happen. I would. I know. I'm sad about it too because I love stand up. I loved stand up the first year I started when it was still what it was when I was growing up. Yes. But it changed. You got to look at it, and uh, like this has been so much more just rewarding. It's it's yeah. That whole that whole rant aside, it's just mostly like. Hey, everything changed. I know it sucks, but at a certain point, you kind of have to grow up a little bit and accept that it's different now. Yeah. Otherwise, you're just going to – because I know people who have still not accepted and all they want to do is complain about stand-up yeah. all day. All they want to be is like, did you see this person got that show? Did you see they got that show? It's like I don't care anymore I, because I'm off doing my own thing. I do wonder if some of that has to do with the fact that – this is going to sound harsh – but mm-hmm. I've had the same thoughts and the same conversations with people, some who have quit stand-up and really right. creative endeavors at all. I'm, a, I'm also seeing that this is the wild thing about having enough people around you that have stopped doing something that, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a creative community that you were part of. It right. kills them. It literally mm-hmm. kills them. And, like, for, yeah. for a while I was feeling that way where I was kind of like – I mean, I, I pivoted into podcasting and producing, right. which is still – you know, I consider it, a, you know, the new show business, the new media. I you think, know, I I really think podcasting is great. I think it's the best form of comedy right now. I agree. I really do. I agree. Yeah. I think it's one of the best forms when it's done well. I mean, like audio right. storytelling is is when it right. you know, and you could see the fall off between people that can like really do it and people that can't. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, the best forms of comedy right now are podcasting and black teenagers on TikTok who are being kind of homophobic. <laughs> Those are my two favorite types of comedy. Well, I'll tell you what. It's definitely like there's nothing on TV that's that funny. There's no funny right. movies. There's like where yeah. where are we supposed to go other than black teenagers on hit TikTok being homophobic? I'm, I'm not even kidding. Literally like the best comedy right now is just black teenagers on TikTok. <laughs> like that is the funniest stuff being made right now to me. Dude, it's always been that way. Like we've always yeah. known this. Not TikTok necessarily, but like who's more entertaining than the kids on the train? Right, exactly. You know, yeah. like they've always the had. The kids it. you're really scared of on the train. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, but I, I think that like seeing it kind of kill people that, that give up on it. I, I also do wonder if, if part of it is that they don't have a second avenue to filter this creative energy into, like you've pivoted into, I didn't know that you could draw when we were doing, I always thought you were like funny and talented, but I didn't, when you started doing it, I was like, holy shit, Jace can draw. And then not only that, that was my original plan. Was to do because I drew when I was a kid yeah. and I drew all these like Far Side ripoff cartoons all the time. Really, and I specifically I w- I went to college. I was still really I had a weird childhood. Mike knows this. The listeners might not. Yeah. I'm very Christian. 
went to a Christian college and I had like this fucking binder like of like 300 drawings and I was trying to get it to the school newspaper. They were kind of weird. So it was like a Christian place. They want to take it. And then I went to, there was a professor who did political cartoons for like three major newspapers. Mm -hmm. And um, it was all like, you know, like stuff like jokes about Bill Clinton, you know, again, his dick sucks, but it's like cutesy. So they're not even saying that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, And I took it to him and I remember I'm like 20 and I'm sitting in his office and he's just rifling through these papers. And he's like, I don't get this. Yeah. I do not get this. I do not like me explaining it to him and being like, I'm like, I don't get how that's funny. I don't get how that's funny. And then also being like the drawing quality is really not that good, which it wasn't at the time. Yeah. I was still learning. How old were how you? Like, you were in school still. I was like so, 20. Okay. But I was still learning how to make stuff look good right. outside of just, you know, making my own shit. Right. You know? Um, and so I, I remember specifically like taking all the stuff out, like throwing it in the garbage and just being like, well, I'm done with that. I guess I'll do the stand-up thing I'd always wanted to do. Right. It was between those two. And then transitioning outside of that, it's kind of weirdly looking back. I'm like, I'm kind of doing what I always wanted to do when I was a kid was to like have an audience. And because it's not even about this idea of like making it and making a lot of money. Like it, I'll work a normal day job my entire life. I don't give a shit. Right. You know, like not to compare myself to this person, but T.S. Eliot worked at Lloyd's of London until he was, you know damn near 70 yeah a lot of people did that it's only a recent idea that artists don't have to have day jobs dude oh my god i wanted to ask you about this too because this is something that i got really depressed about after Mm -hmm. because for my story i got i had a similar type of deal with you like i'm afraid to fly too and honestly Mm -hmm. once i started getting road work as a I, i figure like 2018 2017 was right around the time i started like working as a comedian and I hated it, man. Like I, I did, mm-hmm. I had a month where I did, like I went up, I did a show, I did a weekend hosting in New Jersey at this, at this like steakhouse that was a, also right. like a doubled as a comedy club. That went <laughs> terribly. Uh, like a headliner yeah. told me, I was, you're hosting, so you're doing like, you're supposed to like warm mm-hmm. up the crowd and be affable and shit, which I'm pretty good right. at usually, you know? Yeah, yeah. But, but it's people who don't even know there was going to be comedy what? until the minute you started talking. Well, this one, they're like a club, quote unquote. Oh, okay, You know what I mean? Okay, okay. So it's like, like people right. did buy tickets, but I was working with this like fucking Ginzo headliner, this fat, like fucking uh, uh, just meatball guy <laughs> comes up to me like five minutes before the show starts and I'm hosting. He'd been mm-hmm. there for an hour at least eating whatever. And he's like, hey, right. kid, don't do any crowd work because I do a lot of crowd work in my act. I'm like, don't do any crowd right. work. I'm the host. What are you talking about? <laughs> so I don't I go up there. I don't do any crowd work. I eat it. Mm-hmm. I ruin the right. show. And then like because you just to them, you just weirdly went up and you're like, the bank is weird. Exactly. And they're like, what's going on? Exactly. I went up there. I said, hello. I was like, everybody doing great tonight. Everybody claps. They're like, yeah, yeah. And I was like, all right. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm Italian. People are like, right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're all Italian. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so that weekend goes bad. Then I'm going up to Albany and I have to do, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm featuring from one of my friends from LA who's really just like a road guy. And um, right. uh, I get up there. I'm really excited. It's one of my, my first like feature gigs at a, at a club. Um, mm-hmm. I, I like, I hated it. Like I get up there, yeah. we're at the hotel, we're hanging out and my friend Cody's like, yeah, man, if like something doesn't happen for me in the next year, I'm done. Like I'm quitting. I'm not, right. I'm not doing this anymore. I was just like, Oh God. Okay. Yeah. Fuck. Like this is brutal. And, and like, I, like then you're going, you're on a bus to Albany. You're in the port authority mm-hmm. there. Like you're on it, like the mega buses and stuff. Awful. Just awful. Yeah, Brutal. So all yeah. of that stuff starts happening and I'm, I'm like 28 
29, I, 27, yeah, like right. in there somewhere. And I got really depressed because I started realizing like working as a stand up comedian might not be the thing that I wanted to do. Yeah. It might not be what I wanted to do. And I kind of put an age limit on being creative or, or like making it as a creative right. person. Cause I started thinking mm-hmm. and I was like, if I'm not a comedian, what do I have? And yeah. I, at that time, like I really leaned heavy into Purdue cause I was working on guys. We fucked. And then I started mm-hmm. working with these, with the Betches girls and stuff. So I was like, I'll just be the podcast guy. I'll be like a podcast right. producer. And I, I think that's a smart move, honestly. It is, but it's still not like, I, I'm, I, I don't think I'll ever be done doing this cause I've just been doing it so long starting in radio and all that stuff also. Mm-hmm. But this idea that you, I always wanted to write, man. Like I've been writing, you know, the way that right. you've been drawing, I, mm-hmm. My version of that was I would I would come home from school in high school and I would write scripts in a legal pad, you know, right. and they were, they, you know, they're they were brutal. But like the point yeah, was, that, kid, yeah. yeah, I was like 16, 17 years old and I'm just like really writing out my like express. I'm the hero and all of these things. And I like get the girl mm-hmm. that I'm interested in and like I'm just living right. this fantasy. But the sure. point was that like I was always I think I was always kind of doing stand up as a means to get there. And when I hit 30. I got freaked out. And to your point about these people that would like work these day jobs and stuff, it's like some of these people that are in these fields where they're writing or they're drawing or, or something like that, they don't break in until they're in like their fifties, you know? Right. And, and I think that if there was more information about that out there, and I mean, maybe the landscape will just change completely and maybe that won't be the way things work. But do you think, did you feel that at all? That there is just this like like with social media because and we're tying all uh-huh. this stuff together. Do you think that as a creative person that the messaging is out there right now that it's like if you haven't if you're not a successful entertainer by the time you're like 23 that you're like you're done that you you have no oh, for, chance. In tra- in traditional standup, I think for sure because we know all those people where it's like if you were funny enough and you just started at 17, yeah, it's like you're gonna get an agent because you're 17, right? You know, yeah. Um, because yeah, it's, it's this very American idea, this obsession with youth, but going back to, I think the bigger point in that is, um, I kind of had the same thing. I was reaching my late twenties and I was looking kind of down the barrel of my life. I was starting to get road work. The same thing. It's like you drive six hours, the show's good, but then it's also like, well, now I got to drive six hours back. I made $50. (laughs) You know what I mean? It's like, my knees hurt. Yeah. It's like, you know, I talked to a, a, a guy who's a cocaine addict for four <laughs> hours because he's producing it. Yeah. He threw up midway through like these disgusting people yeah. who produce comedy shows. Um, and I was also looking at the people ahead of me in L.A. and New York who were really funny that I liked. Mm-hmm. And the people who are basically reaching that point where it's kind of like in comedy, a lot of it is like you do it long enough and then you're kind of next in line to start getting writing jobs, get staffed, get, you know, you know, higher paying gigs, stuff yeah. like that. Or that was the old model. And I started to see those people once all this culture stuff came in, uh, I started to see those people get passed over. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, this person's been doing it 15 years. They're immensely funny. Yeah. They work their ass off. And, but they're everything they're trying to get, somebody has to give to them. Yeah. An executive board has to meet and be like, this person gets to have a good life now, quote unquote, a good life. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> um, so it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It, and 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 so I did that, and I started going to therapy 
Um, and I was deprogramming a lot of Christian stuff, but I was also deprogramming like this very American idea that you have to be successful in like order to be happy, mm. you know, mm. like this, this very, like, like even with, I've seen in, in people in my life who have achieved success with this entertainment stuff, you get something and it's not as good as wanting it. Yeah. It's never as good. And that's a really depressing moment, you know? Even like me, I wanted to get a bigger audience because that means more stuff could maybe start happening for me. Yeah. And when I finally started doing it, I I realized that it's it kind of my dopamine was gone from it a little bit because now I just want to go viral all the time. And if I don't, I kind of think whatever I made sucks. Yeah. Because I went viral a bunch in like a week. Yeah. So you just you just reach that ceiling of your new dopamine level, you know. What I was saying earlier is you kind of reach like a dopamine level. It's like a the hydonic treadmill, you know, um, if you ever heard that term, no. it's like, it's, it's a, it's a term psychologists use for like money, success, fame, whatever, where any external thing that makes you happy, it, you know, we have this capacity where whatever's happening in our life, that becomes the new normal within two weeks. Mm-hmm. So the hydonic treadmill is like, let's say you're, you're making 50 K or let's say you're making hundred K and you're like, I'm killing it. Then you you make 150k. You're happier for like two weeks. Yeah. And then in order to achieve that same level of happiness again, you have to make 200k. Right. So it's this treadmill that, and I've seen it with people who've gotten rich, and it's like it's like you know I knew you in 2014 and you were almost homeless, <laughs> and now you're living in a mansion. Yeah. And if anything, you're more you're less happy. Yeah. Right. Um. So. There, there, there's that for sure. And then also this idea that like once you achieve some type of success, like you'll you'll like yourself more mm-hmm. or like it's finally it's finally OK to love yourself because people like you. Um, and I think that's a lot of the reason people get into an entertainment type field. And I think once you start to get stuff, you kind of realize how like bullshit it is. Mm-hmm. Um so that, that so that's kind of been an adjustment for me. I think a lot of people, you see, it with like I, I mentioned earlier, like a Richard Jenny or any of the number type of comics, like a John Mulaney. Yeah. John Mulaney, who I love, has lived every one of our dream lives. Right. He was writing on SNL at like 24. He was a touring act at like 27, one of the biggest comedians ever. You know, and he he's been, he was just in rehab for four months. Right. You know, like it's it's never enough. Well, to make you happy. Right. And I guess that one of the, the big questions I wanted to ask you was as, as somebody personally who has, you know, struggled with mental health stuff, depression, anxiety, sure. you know, I know you have as well. Uh, right. Do you find that the the time where you feel the most lucid, is it when you're actually pursuing craft? Because the, it seems like, and I've felt this too, where it's like, like I understand that feeling of like I've achieved this one thing, and now I have money or whatever, and you know it's just mm-hmm. not quite enough. Your your life is still. I, I was probably the least happiest when I had the most money, and I think right. back to the time when I was the most happy, and it was when it was those years doing stand up when we had literally nothing. You're part of this community. Right. You're 24, 25, 26, but the 
getting better at something, really working hard at something, because you can even see it in your drawings. They've improved mm-hmm. as, as yeah. the, you know, in quality of how they've been drawn. Also, the voice seems to be more clear right. as you've For gone sure. on. Do you find that that levels you out and gives you sort of a, 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 a boost in your happiness and your mood just doing that, whether or not something goes viral or not? That That's for sure. I take I take a real pride in that I've really committed myself to something. Yeah. And I've gotten better at it. And it's it's just more for me the act of and who knows this is if this is a mental illness flaw or not. It's just the act of making something. And then showing it to people mm-hmm. that and it's and it's almost like this, like if I draw something and I'm like, I don't know, like this might people might really hate this. Like if it's more of a like a, maybe a taboo thing uh-huh. or something that's like kind of more in the gray area. But I'm trying to make a point or something. Yeah, uh, I'm going to make myself throw up talking like, this <laughs> no, please, <laughs> please. <laughs> but Chase, if, if I do that, if I do that and I pull it off, like I get a real satisfaction so i don't know i just like i just really like making stuff it just really if it feels like if you ever watch the movie chariots of fire Mm. from the 80s there's a line in that where there's you know these two characters one's jewish one's a catholic priest so you know first guy's the bad guy second guy's (laughs) a good guy i know they're both the good guys but the priest the priest is conflicted about like the he's trying to he's becoming a priest and everyone is like you shouldn't be running this doesn't like this this does nothing to raise up god or like be a part of a good christian man yeah and he goes and he talks about he goes god made me to be a priest but he also made me to run fast Mm -hmm. and when i run fast i feel his glory Mm. and it's almost like something like that like i feel like there's some things for some people and not everybody needs this, but that for some people, the word's just like this is like what I'm supposed to do, and it could be working community service or raising a family or being really good at your finance job. Like there's some things you do that really just sets you on fire, um, in like almost kind of a spiritual way. Yeah. And that's what I feel about the drawing stuff is great. I podcasting honestly even more because I can get more into a flow state. Yeah. When I'm doing that. But yeah, both of those, it just feels like, I don't know, it just feels like what I'm supposed to be doing. But at the same time, I don't expect to make a good living off of that because nobody deserves that. Right. So at the same time, I still I still work my job and I pay my bills, you know. But that seems like a healthy place to be. And, you yeah. know, like like I, I think that the, the thing that really can get a creative person down is when you're young, I think that you have... You have dreams of doing the creative thing and then mm-hmm. also being the most famous person for doing the creative thing. And when you don't even become you tell yourself that fame, yeah, you know what I mean? Like I, I, I'm 20 years old. I absolutely have thoughts where I'm like, dude, like I, I look at like Woody Allen and other than the, mm-hmm. the molest molestation, I look right. at him and I'm like, I'm going to be him. Like right. this dude cranks out like two movies a year. He does it his right. way. You hear all these stories. I remember I watched his like American Masters. And now you're just a child. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, right. I made it halfway, but like, right. but I'm 31. I got a lot of time. Right. Uh, but like you, you hear stories about him. You know, when people when he was still like a hero to people and not like a controversial mm-hmm. figure. And the stories sure. are like, uh, you know. 
he does his first movie and his agent goes to the studio. He's like, we want money in a paper bag to make the movie. And then you go away and we give you a right. movie. And I remember yeah, yeah, hearing yeah. that and being like, that is how I'm going to operate. Like, right. I'm going to do that. And then everybody's going to get the thing that only two people in history have achieved. I know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then when it doesn't happen, it's like, like you, it, it, it is important to, to like, I, again, going back to the thing that we kind of already said, but like, I really mm-hmm. do think it's important to, know those stories of these people who are like like I really slugged it out for a long time I worked my ass off and like now I'm 45 and I finally have the thing that I want and I get the freedom to be the my a creative person like on my own time or whatever right and I think that that's a super important thing perhaps social media is the new gateway to that you can control I mean, you don't have to run any of your stuff by an editor. I mean, that's got to be sort of a freeing feeling to to go from the philosophies that uh, we were taught when we were younger, where it was like, you know, I took journalism classes in college, whatever. I had to run anything I wrote by some fucking guy. And it's right. like if he doesn't like it or if he thinks it's whatever, like how do we know that his taste is is the taste? You know, why is he a gatekeeper? I guess he's worked on the business, great. But like realistically with social media, your voice can be your voice and you can grow in a certain direction and find the people that um, uh, really relate to your stuff. And I am right. wondering in terms of reaction, because you have you if you're about 18,000 um, Instagram followers now, like I a lot mm. of the things that you put out there hit me. You know, right. there's a lot of times where I'm like, like when I hear a Paul Simon song or something, I'm like, this guy gets me like this is right. This sure. is me, yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. what are you what are the good reactions that you get from people and how do they make you I feel? Think it's, I think it's that because I try to and I feel like I have to keep I'm doing like a David Foster Wallace interview now, but I feel like I have <laughs> to keep acknowledging. I also realize this is kind of gross to talk like this and I don't do it most of the time. You haven't been like gross. Right. No, I know. But. Like I said, I'm David Foster Wallace right okay. now. I have to acknowledge it okay. for the one guy who's being like, this guy's a fucking asshole okay. right now. All right, I get it. That exists in my head only, yes. probably. Yes, um, The reaction is, is I try to do this thing where I I've, I read Gary Goldman, who's a comic I really like. Mm-hmm. Um, he recommended that every person who makes stuff reads Self-Reliance by Ralph Waldo Emerson. Mm. It's a really, it sucks to read. <laughs> But it's it's like 70 pages and it just sucks ass. Yeah. But it, it, it has a really amazing point, which is if you're making anything, try to make like anything about you, like like you something you think is very specific to you or your existence, like um you should make something like that, like something you want to see because on like a weird hippie universal consciousness type of thing, we're all for the most part the same. Mm. Um, and so if I make something that's reflecting my soul, you're also going to see that because you could also be me under a certain set of circumstances. So I think people a lot of times, and that's what I really like is even if I don't have like a super large audience, people will tell me like, Oh, this is the one thing that I like, or this is the one thing that really gets me. Mm. And it's usually a specific type of – it's like I either have like weird – my fans are like so like – or my audience is so like it's either like 18-year-old trans kids or like guys who just got out of joining a militia, you know? I wonder where like I fall people, on that spectrum. <laughs> well, I think we all – I think you're kind of both. You're the gay kid in the militia. Um, you're the boy they toss around. Uh 
No, but I, I think it's I think it's definitely people who maybe deal with deal in extremes or like are kind of fed up with the current state of stuff a lot of times. Okay. Um, but also, so usually the bad reaction I get and compare that's like another thing about adjusting to getting a bigger audience is you're just going to get more bad reactions just from the size of it. Yeah. So that's been a thing I've had to adjust to as of late, which has been really hard. I even woke up today and somebody like the first thing I see on my phone is somebody commented like, you used to really like your stuff. It's a shame you endorse stuff that's killing me and my friends. <laughs> like they commented that. And then I go to their page. I'm like, you're, you're a white gay. What are you talking about? Yeah, yeah. You know, I just made a joke about having some conservative beliefs, but pretending you don't have them. Yeah. In conversation, you know, and I'm mostly talking about like lower taxes and like cancel culture. Yeah. And this guy like immediately was like accusing me of like, oh, so you want black people to be shot in the streets. I'm like, I'm not saying that. <laughs> So most of the time when people get mad, I yeah, think where, they Where really... is the cartoon of the black guy getting shot in the streets? Oh, that's coming. That's coming, <laughs> yeah. That's a 20K special right there. <laughs> Love it. Um, so I I think, and I've seen this most of the time when people get angry at me, what they're commenting, I can tell they don't understand what I was trying to say. Right. Which is a natural part of making stuff. People are going to misinterpret it. I had one one time where I just drew Ghislaine Maxwell and Jeffrey Epstein. Mm. And it had like something like this fancy font. It was all pretty. And it said like, can't talk right now. I'm doing hot girl shit <laughs> above it, which is like, to me, that's clearly satire. Yeah. You know? yeah, yeah. And I, to me, I'm making fun of like girl boss culture and all this type of stuff. And somebody with a bigger following than me, like found it through like a story reshare. And they like started commenting. And they're like, I don't understand how you could celebrate a, a fucking pedophile. This is disgusting. And they're posting my – like tagging me in their stories like like this person is celebrating a pedophile and they should be fucking banned from everything. Yeah. Like literally like encouraging her followers to like attack me and I block her so I think it disappears off her thing. Yeah. And nothing – like about I was having – I'm like how can you interpret that as I think she's cool and good? Yeah. So it's like if I could sit down with this lady and be like, no, I'm making fun of her. Yeah. And other people like her who pursue business to the point – who pursue business in like a feminist perspective, but then destroy people yeah. because of it. If I could explain that to her, I think she'd be like, oh, I completely agree with that. But she doesn't know me. She doesn't know where I'm coming from. Well, and it's also so, like, is it really your job to map out every single aspect of your perspective on, on a, a drawing? Right. You know, even though there's a joke do, that's behind not, it. That's not good comedy or good art or right. whatever. If you do Yeah, that. right. Let me explain the joke yeah. to you. Right, yeah. It was like, it's like when you're sitting around with your buddies and somebody doesn't get the joke or they disagree and then you go, actually, wait, this is exactly what I meant when right. I said this. Do the math on it. How funny is that? Yeah. <laughs> so that's part of my job is I have to be better about not taking that personally and just letting them be offended. Because I don't want to offend anybody either. I, but I need to do a better job of just letting them be upset or whatever. Yes. And not caring as much. Yeah. Well, so then I, another question that I wanted to ask you creatively, do you think that mm. it's a death sentence in 2021 to be, to have even just sort of a moderate perspective? Cause I don't, you're not a conservative guy at all, you know? No. Yeah. I, I think it's a little, I don't know, death sentence. Cause I do think culture is kind of going to come back to this way eventually. Mm-hmm. I think you kind of see that. And a lot of people are really just sick of everything. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think you're going to, in the short term, you're definitely going to have less of an audience because the people who are shouting on either side, you know, if you go cuckoo bananas left or right, you're going to get amplified. Right. Because of that. You know, there's almost a commodification and controversy now. Um, 
so I think in the short term, but all those people, I don't know, you know, those people do that. And then, you know, some comic gets staffed because they're pretending that they're, you know, non-binary and then they get me too 85 times. <laughs> yeah. And then they're, they're never working again. Yeah. You know, that's, that's the funny thing is, is to me is, is it's like the amount of, uh, this is completely off topic, but the amount of comics we knew who were in their late thirties, who clearly just, uh, fucked everybody who was drunk at their show for t- 10 years. Yeah. And then they saw the, the wall of bodies that were coming to them once me too became a thing. Yeah. And immediately were like, just start, just turned into this retweet guys where they're like, they just retweet something and they go this. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, you're not keeping the bodies at bay, man. I know. They, man. they will come for you. <laughs> <laughs> the skeletons leaping out yeah. of the closet. Yeah. Leaping. The shrimp guy got me too. All right. So I know, you, there's no hope for you. Yeah. It's brutal. Um, yeah. yeah. You said something when we were just talking a second ago, uh, you said yeah. that, um, that there's a lot of people in your audience that you think are just fed up with the way things are right now. Do you feel that way? Is it a general just fed up? If there's one thing that you could fix, is there one thing specifically? One thing specifically? Yeah, I think that's how most people feel. Um, You know, just because we're in such like an extreme time, I think most people are just kind of fed up with a lot of stuff. If I could fix any one thing in a closet... If I could fix two things, yeah. number two would be media, how media operates. Because I think it's really designed to make everything worse and turn us against each other. Media, like news media or just every? All, just all media. Okay. I really think it's designed to like Instagram, Twitter, all these algorithms are designed to drive people into different camps. Mm-hmm. The media itself is is designed to drive people into different camps. Um, pretty much everything. You know, I think even and that's that's another conservative point I do have. I think every thing in the media is designed to separate us, you know, and I even like because it's funny because I'll go in L.A. Everybody thinks I'm a Republican and in Texas, everybody thinks I'm con- like liberal. It's funny how that works. <laughs> yeah. And then I, I tell everybody because people want to like come at you. I don't even like like talking about politics in general. Yeah. Because I think it's it's kind of gross to talk about. That used um, to be the philosophy, in, by the way. Yeah. That used to like be if like... if you go into a party yes. and start talking about politics, that's kind of gross. Yes. You know? Mm-hmm. Like, what if I just, like, went in and I was, like, talking to, like, you know, my Muslim friends and being like, well, you know, the Church of Christ, here's the thing about them. Yeah. Like, you need to yeah. repent and be baptized. It's like, what are you talking about? 100%. That's so rude. Yeah. But the thing I tell everybody is I go, I think one of the greatest things about this country is the fact that we can all disagree. Right. Um, and that used to not be an evil, terrible thing. Um. So I would say that, but I can't in my heart overlook um, like just the severe income inequality, which is if I if I'm on the liberal side, it's always about income inequality, corporate corruption, the rich evading taxes. I'm like I kind of weirdly joked with a friend. It's like I'm almost like fiscally Democrat and socially Republican. Like I'm kind of the opposite. (laughs) I'm like basically like General Mao. Like I guess I'm a communist now. I, dude, I feel the exact same way. I, I feel the exact same way. The irony being that like like I I have a bunch of like cops in my family and stuff like that, and they're all they're sure. they're becoming like QAnon people, which is scary in and of itself. Oh yeah, I totally get it. Yeah. Well, I, I get it. If, if everybody told you to kill yourself every day, <laughs> and it was cool, I know. I yeah, it. I mean, I, totally. And they live in an area where it's like like they're the people that surround them are not 
they don't get a lot of um, healthy debate about it. They get a lot of people oh, who yeah, are like sure. band together and it's like talking at the station house. Like, you see these fucking kids? They all hate us. <laughs> Fuck them. Let's go kill them. You know? But um, like they're all union people. It, it's hilarious mm-hmm. that it's like like it is like a lefty socialist thing to be. That's a great point. They're yeah. all in fucking unions, dude. They're like the mm-hmm. last unions that are left is like city jobs. So all right. of these people that end up being like firefighters and garbage men and police officers mm-hmm. and all that stuff, MTA people, they all work in unions and they're all like Trump people. And it just that's a blows great, I never even my realized mind. That. Yeah, that, I, that's literally my parents both belong to like they get retirement when they yes. when they retire, they get paid for you it. You can stop working at a, 40. Yeah, my dad's in the teachers union and my mom's in the state government union. Dude. Like they can stop working and get paid for the rest of their life. And and they're so anti like I, I don't want to say that they're like all anti Bernie people, but they're all they're just like a walking contradiction. And I think that that mm-hmm. exists more now perhaps than ever, where people's like for sure. people's actual values are not necessarily aligned. Like their political right. views are are they're askew in some way. Like they don't fully realize, like if I brought that point up, cause I am at this point kind of a socialist. I've, I've not been like working right. a s- real steady job. I think most young people are kind of in that same camp. Cause yeah. we've been fucked the entire time. Right, exactly. And this is going to bring me to the, the, another question I had for you. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know how you felt in your upbringing, but we were kind of told like, yeah, you could do whatever you want. Perhaps we're the first generation that has been told that. Like, yeah, you want to do right. something, especially in the creative field. We were going to college. Sure. How many people do we know have liberal arts degrees or film degrees? Or um, uh, Shout out to Ronnie, right. the film student. Uh, right. Shout out, Ronnie. You're different, though. Shout, yeah, it's you're different, though. <laughs> <laughs> Dropping out of college any, time, any day now. Um, but we were kind of told all that stuff and like i'm not one of these people that's like oh we're snowflakes we were told we can do whatever yeah. participation trophy but there is something to the fact that like by adding to this um to the general population of people our age that went into school thinking that they were going to be like graphic designers or mm-hmm. film you know something in media or whatever is it right. becoming more clear that it you really to make this like a full-time career uh and really pursue this to be your full-time gig at all times from minute one that you have to have come from a family of <laughs> wealthy elites. Oh, extreme wealth. Yeah. I mean, that's, a, that's like almost a meme joke at this point uh, is I've, I've done stuff about this, but like, yeah, if you're, I think the joke is like, if your parents are in blue on, in Wikipedia, yeah, you know, that's every actor now yeah, for sure. I don't like, I mean the, the girl who directed Noma Edland, which I haven't seen. I heard it's good, but you know, she directed Nomadland. Her father's a Chinese steel tycoon. You know, he's one of the richest people in China. You know, nobody knows that. Great. Yeah, great. <laughs> good for them. Fantastic. <laughs> good times. Um, yeah. And I, I'm sorry. What was your What was your original? Oh, but about our generation, I think also. I think our generation, we almost have like kind of a lost generation type vibe. Yeah. Like if you read like old Hemingway, I've read two of his books. That's it. So if you read like old Hemingway or something, it's it's kind of like this generation where um, things were good for us for a while, mm-hmm. and we were promised a good life because that's what our parents got. And that's still you can still achieve that. I know people are achieving that. It's getting harder and harder and rarer and rarer. Mm. But there, there is almost something to not growing up with any, um, any struggle 
um, at all that I think kind of tends to make people more depressed later in their life. Hmm. Um, and I think almost like kind of weirdly, you know, like when there's when there's um, food shortages in a country or there's uh, people are like experiencing a lot of hunger. Uh, when there's a recession, uh, age, uh, average life expectancy actually goes up mm. because people eat less mm. and they actually survive longer. Not to say that that's good, but I do think there's certainly a principle there where there's something about – like I lived a pretty – like I can say tough life like mentally. I grew up in a very weird place in society. For sure. You know? Like almost like a you know like a cult type of thing that I had to like deprogram out. You see me checking over my shoulder <laughs> for my parents. Um, my mom walks in and starts crying, and they're very sweet people. But that's just what we grew up. Yes. Um, it's and so there's something about like I feel like all of that shitty stuff that happened to me made me a better person or more well adjusted when I was 30. Mm-hmm. Like I'm very much like I always grew up. Even though I had like a tremendous sense of guilt, I always grew up with like a, hey, maybe you should think about the way you treat people yeah, and try to be kind. Not to say I always did that, but – and then you should also examine what you're doing in life and see what, what you need to change about that. Um, so there's definitely baggage that came from that, but there's also like I don't have an expectation – that good stuff is going to happen. Right. right, So I don't have an expectation that anything good is going to happen. So maybe you should learn to mentally be able to live life and be content with that. Dude, it's like the working class curse. I feel the same way where it was always like, I've noticed this with, with, um, you get advice from a lot of people that um, are just of a certain income bracket where they operate out of fear of pissing off the boss where it's sort of like like even going on job interviews or or like whatever i've i've gotten advice from people where it's like they find they finagle every angle they can into wondering if there's something that you're doing that you that like you fucked up and you're always like these people are always one rung away from feeling like, oh my God, what the fuck am I going to do? I am right. dependent. Object poverty. Yes, yeah. absolutely. I'm totally the same way. I always assume I'm a, I'm a week away from being homeless. Yes, yes, always. Yeah. And I do yeah. think that it's like, it's this philosophy where, it's like, you know, if you go on a date with somebody and somebody is mean to the wait staff, you're just sort of like, okay, we are not from the same world because right. I've worked how many shitty jobs? Like, if, has this person not worked, a, you know, behind a register somewhere in their youth? Like, they don't know how right. shitty these jobs are and they're going to, like, talk to a, a busboy from fucking Guatemala that way? Like, imagine yeah, this exactly. guy's life. <laughs> he fucking was, like, snuck into the country and, like, right. like, like, made it up to New York and now he's, like, like, like working for his entire family. Right. And, you just... and he's actually Republican because he had to work his entire life. <laughs> right, exactly. Very hard. So he's like, I don't want to give any money to people who aren't working. <laughs> like not a dime. I know, and you get that, you know, totally. Um, it, 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 it's it's also, and I think a big a problem with media is, you know, I dated a girl out here for two months, mm. and she worked at a major like online publication. It's Texas, I'm not say which one? No, this in California, out of California, and she worked at like a major, very like, you know, woke girl publication, mm. and. Um, like I stopped dating her because it was literally like it kept being stuff like, well, you're a cis white man. So, you know, yeah, 
like that type of stuff. Like, oh, you're cis white man, so you know, you you, I expect you to be a piece of shit. Yeah, conversation. And over. It's like I'm like I'm like the I feel like I'm overly polite to a point I had to go to therapy for. It. Yeah, right, um, right. I know, man. Chronically polite. Um, and dating for a while, I eventually drop her off at her parents' place one day. It's a fucking mansion in Hancock Park. Yeah, like a twenty bedroom mansion, you know. And I saw her on the news because she lives next to Garcetti during the protests. Oh you know? my god. Um, like literally like that's how rich her family is. So it's like all of these media positions are gotten by people with the connections to get them like a person who grew up in Hancock park. So those are the people who I think maybe because she was always very like, well, we're not poor. Everybody in Hancock. I mean, we're not rich. Everybody in Hancock park. thinks we're poor. And I'm like, (laughs) shut the fuck up. You stupid bitch. It made me so angry. Of course it's all in my head. I was like, Uh, you went to fucking Columbia. You got a job. You have a fucking Emmy. Yeah. Out of college, you got an Emmy yeah. for some because you worked on fucking this network daytime show. Yeah. Out of college, you got a job. Yeah. Like it made me so angry. Um, and those are the people they feel that guilt, so they want to be like, no, I'm woke, I'm hip with it, I love the cause. A cab, Black Lives Matter. By the way, if I see a black person on my drive, I will shoot them. <laughs> um, like, I love black people. That's why I moved as far away from them into a gated community as I possibly could. 20 bedrooms. I mean. 20 bedrooms. We're exactly. might have company. Black people live in none of them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. If I see a homeless person, I will freak out. I'll shoot them with a bazooka. Um, and those are all the people running the media stuff. So what happens is all this stuff that most normal people think is ridiculous, you know. Yeah. Like this identity politics type of stuff. Um, not really like Black Lives Matter in there, but like stuff where it's like, if you're a cis white man, you should kill yourself, like that type of stuff. Mm. And I think most people think that's ridiculous. Um, yeah. Not to say that there's changes that don't need to happen, but I think attacking people on an individual level for their identity is ridiculous. People see that, and then people who don't realize that this whole thing is fixed and run by the 25-year-old kids of the elite overreact to that, and it pushes them further right. And the next thing you know, you have like actual like kind of Nazis in Congress, you know, Yeah, right. like a Marjorie Taylor Greene, like people who legitimately, if all of them had every seat in Congress, like they would out like they would put black people in camps, you know? Well, yeah. And the, the tricky thing and the frustrating thing about the the cis white male conversation, because that 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 as like a like a construct um, and, mm-hmm. and a slur, I guess. It, right. That's sort of new. That's within the last couple of years where it's sort of just like, oh, you're a cis white male. None of your first off. Right. Also, I'm ethnic. So, I mean, I don't know why people I've been hit with right. that before. And I'm just like, I'm Italian and Jewish, man. Like, right. it's not I, quite I'm a practicing Muslim. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. right, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> but like the the aggravating thing about it is when you are when you are trying to like do good, be part of like whatever the actual like important social mm-hmm. changes are coming. Like it is, it is, it's just like a rude thing to say to somebody where it's like, yeah. And I'm sort I, of like, dude, I'm on the right side face. of this. Like I, I'm trying yeah. to be helpful, you know? Yeah. And I, and I want to be like, I'm like, you do not know how difficult my life was. Like you right. have no idea. And then also I'm trying to be, I'm also on your side for the most part. Right. Right. You know, right. It, especially from where I came from, that's unbelievable to me. <laughs> Like I should, Shane Gillis has this great bit about, he, this bit is actually so good it made me mad where he's like, he's like, I voted for Hillary, man. Like, do you know how much credit I should get for that? I took a dip out to come up here. 
And I voted for Hillary. That's such growth. What progress for me. I know, man. You know? Yeah. Especially when you, you look a certain way and people... I used to get this all the time where it was just like people think that I'm just this like fucking guido and they're just like right. which i am but like like yeah. they don't they don't know the deal you know people then you talk oh, to somebody yeah, and they're you, like oh you weren't what i was expecting you to be i was just like yeah right you, you know? go down to the south and everybody's like everybody's like very polite you yeah. know they are racist but they're very <laughs> right. polite and nice to like all types of people right even if they think ignorantly so it's like i think that's more the thing is like you know, we do live in a, in a society. I'm the joker now. <laughs> we do live in a society that needs a lot of changes uh-huh. and is skewed towards one group of people over another. But I think attacking people on an individual level is not any growth. That, right. That's If anything, it's like a white fragility thing where it's like, okay, I am sensitive about my whiteness, so I am going to pretend it's these people's problems and not a system that I exist inside of. Yeah. And like actually look at systematic changes that would actually benefit everybody rather than just saying this guy said the N word and he works at the tractor supply company. <laughs> right. Well, you need to fire him now. <laughs> right, you know? right, right. That guy is also a victim of a system that makes him like that. Yeah. And I mean, part of the other issue is that like social media puts you in this position where it, it there is equity in not celebrating actual um, social victories. Like, like immediately right. there will be something – I was seeing this – I can't remember if it was an LGBTQ thing or, or like Women's History Month, but it's like mm-hmm. every time we hit one of those milestones where it's like, all right, we added Women's History Month. Like you can look at it right. with the perspective where it's like whatever. It's just the title. What, like almost like Valentine's mm-hmm. Day is like a greeting card holiday you know, for your girlfriend, right. whatever. But there's significance there because it, it is recognition in some way, you know, even if it's a small right. thing, like whatever, it allows it allows you for a couple days out of the year, you can put these stories and elevate them and put them in people's consciousness, which is really right. that's like the name of the game. I, I would think, you know, you want mm-hmm. people thinking about these things. You want people thinking about like struggles of, uh, you know, African-Americans, African-American, Latino people, like all that stuff is is it is important. But then you look on social media and people will kind of like claw at the fact that it's like well these now these people are also excluded and we're boiling it down to the micro to the degree where it's like like take a minute celebrate the fact that like this is a good thing and then like within the next year maybe we can add a layer to it like stop seeing equity like it doesn't make you um more of an activist or more of a social justice warrior to like not relish in the victories of the fact that you've actually accomplished something yeah, and that's very I, – I am actually very guilty of this, and I'm trying to like kind of slowly get it out of the stuff I make. Yeah. It's, it's difficult, but it's so much – it's so much more of a sellable point to be such a um, uh, pessimist about everything. Yeah. Um, especially you saw that when – like, for example, like when Biden won. Like, I was happy – personal politics side, I was happy when Biden won. I was very stressed about the election – I did not think Trump was like good for the country, really. Agreed. <laughs> um, and I think a lot of people would agree with that. Yeah. You know, policy aside, like I don't think he's good for our psyche. Yeah. Um, him in charge. Um, so I was happy he won, and then I was even a part of this. It's immediately you want to start picking Biden apart because, at least for me, and I think a lot of people, you still resent the amount of liberals that are like, "Well, everything's perfect now," you right. know. The amount of like Sarah Cooper's type stuff where it's like 
there's the evil side and there's the good side. I'm like, I don't think that's necessarily true. Right. I get what you're saying. But then people are picking buying parts. Like, there's also a lot of good stuff like that came apart. Yes, we are still, for the most part, a shell corporation for missile defense companies <laughs> to bomb brown people. Yeah. <laughs> but it is still like it's a win. You know, the guy could have lost. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, we, we definitely, and there's a lot of people living, there are a lot of people living good lives in America, you know? Um, Even through a but pandemic. We don't really, yeah. We, and during the pandemic when we don't really, uh, you know, it's, it's not as popular to celebrate that. Yeah. I even started watching this show, which I would normally never watch cause I don't want to, I want to be cool and people will think I'm cool. I started watching that Ted Lasso show. Okay. On Apple. <laughs> Not very Jay Savory, I got to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> Too much Literally hope. Just because it's it's kind of it's kind of like a positive, like, hey, we're just all trying our best. Like yeah. that's kind of the humor mm-hmm. of the show, and it is refreshing to get. I wish I could. I wish I knew how to make good art that did that. Yeah. I just don't. I just don't really. And I'm. I hope one day maybe I can start making more stuff like that. Kind of like Frank Capra, like. Rah rah type yeah, stuff. Just you know the 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 okayness of a normal person's life for yeah. the most part. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It yeah. does drive anxiety to, to your point where it's like like the country in a way, because I don't know if you've gone through this with your therapist with anxiety stuff, but it's like you have to allow uh, yourself to feel good. Uh, right. you have to like give yourself permission to be like everything's fine and it's okay that everything's fine. Like you don't have to be in a panic frenzy, right. you know. Everything is for the most part gonna work itself out. Right. And then even then you're gonna die one day, so who gives a shit right. anyway? Right. You know? And until then, try to add a little more every single day. Be a little bit right. better every day, and then that's like a victory and, a, and an honorable good life to live. Right. Now uh, okay. I you. I, sorry, got got so political. It's okay. So no, it's all good. This is what we're here for. This is what we do right. at Mike Coscarelli Rules. Sometimes we mm-hmm. we go on political tangents that hey, right. you know, sometimes might divide people. Who cares? Mm-hmm. Um, right. I have a little game for us. Um, okay. I know you've been very gracious with your time. Bush knocked down the tower. <laughs> <laughs> I only want to keep you sorry, for a couple ahead. more minutes because I don't I don't okay. want to like take up your entire day. We have a brand new game. I think this is going to be perfect. For you, Jace. Uh, I'm looking forward to okay. this. Uh, All right. The name of this game is called Who's Nihilistic Anyway? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So this is sort of a word association here. Uh, I'm going to okay. give you a word. <laughs> uh, I'm just imagining the whole cast of Whose Line Is It Anyway in like some Bergman type film right now. Dude, I wish I, I, wish I had the woman with the piano. <laughs> right. Just like, yeah, like Ryan Stiles dressed as the, as the specter of death right now. <laughs> <laughs> be perfect. Uh, all right. So I'm going to throw you out a word. Uh, it might okay. be the name of a person, a place, uh, or something that we do. Mm-hmm. And you're going to have to uh, let me know if you think the world would be a better place without them. Now, when we say that, if it's a person, it doesn't mean that the world would be a better place if they were dead, necessarily. Okay. But if they didn't have the type of relevance and influence that they currently have. So this right. way we're not okay. being too nihilistic and, and pessimistic right. saying, hey. They live at a, in a cottage somewhere. Yeah, they just, you know, yeah. they have a family, they're off, they, you know, they serve their mm-hmm. communities, whatever. But they might right. not okay. be serving uh, America uh, or our culture uh, okay. in a positive light. Let's just say I that. like that they're not dead. That actually makes it an easier decision. Yeah, we don't want to hurt anybody, yeah. you know? Like, that's, yeah. that's like a bridge too far. But mm-hmm. we just don't want them, like, in front of our faces. Right. Okay. Okay. I got you. All right. So let's start with uh, perhaps the most obvious. Would the world be a better place without Amazon? 
Yes, I think so. Just generally because they are the big machine. Killing so many businesses, and I think it's just going to keep getting... I think Amazon is going to get really brutal. Yeah, I think... What do you predict? Especially with especially with automation yeah. and stuff, I think Amazon is like one of the main reasons we might need UBI at some point. Yeah. Uh, just because they're going to do everything with robots and self-driving cars, and everybody's going to buy everything from them. Right. So there's not even stores to work at anymore. Right. Like there's no there's no jobs anymore. I, I, so I think I think we'd be. It's cool, and I love Amazon. Like I love using it, but I think it's ultimately bad. Overall, do yeah. you think Bezos is a bad guy? I know that's like a blanket thing to say, but he does. Yes. I mean, to be fair to Amazon, yes. and I hate to be fair to mm-hmm. Amazon, but it does seem like they do attempt to at least portray themselves as, as a company that's like reinvesting in charity work and the community in some way. I'm going to say yes, because I don't think, man, it's such a hard line. I know. Um, I know it's going to offend some people. I don't think you can ethically be that rich. I kind of agree. Uh, Because I think at a certain point when you have the 180 billion and you're not like, like who needs 108? Like, I just feel like if I had $180 billion, I wouldn't give half of that to like, charities and like helping the world yeah you know so i think ethically i think you have to argue no he's taking up that many resources yeah you know it's like if you're in a room or like let's say like you're in like a i know this is supposed to be like a one-word answer no no this is great like if you're if you're in like a like let's say like we're, we all exist the world is one giant gymnasium with a certain amount of food and water and there's a hundred people in yeah it. if one guy has 50 percent of the water and food and refuses to like give it to other people. I don't know how you can say that's like not a bad person. I'm with you. Even if they got it fairly, you know. Well, because part of the American way of life, your own store, storefront, that kind of was the American mm-hmm. dream at a certain point. Where it's like you run your own business, you own your own business. And if there's one guy that's putting everybody, because it's not just like one right. industry. It's not like he just runs steel, and it's like there's nobody else that can be in the steel industry. It's like books uh mm-hmm. uh you know um a uh, movie like right. they're doing everything <laughs> everything yeah and and it's and it's like it's like not to say i'm against capitalism but because i love that people will go out start their own businesses and make money there's just a certain point where if you're bigger it's so much easier to get bigger and there's a certain point where somebody is so big it's just not a, a fair playing ground anymore. and i don't think the vision for capitalism was that one guy controls every aspect of every business in in America. Exactly. It's it's a system that works well under yeah. certain parameters. At a certain point, it starts to break, you know? Yeah. Yeah. All right. So let's expand this a little bit then. Okay. Uh, would the world be better without tech, just generally speaking? And to, <sighs> if we want to narrow that in a little more, I'm not even necessarily talking about tech companies. But there's a paradox here. Is progress finally becoming a bad thing for humanity? God... That's such a tough one. It's like, I know they're doing like a lot of good stuff, like in developing countries. Uh huh. It's mostly mental duress. I think uh, tech is going to be start becoming a bad thing as soon as CRISPR becomes, as soon as gene splitting yeah. becomes a thing. I think that's when technology officially reaches the point of like, oh, this is getting bleak. I think we're just yeah. in the final years of being like, okay, it's like. Everybody's unhappy, but, you know, there's people, less people starving yeah. in Africa right now than there could be, you know, and we have a pill that we we can give to people with AIDS and stuff, so that's cool. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I think once, 
<laughs> the rich start looking like supermodels and we all stay ugly. Yeah. And we start to turn into a HG Wells time machine yeah. of like the people who live underground and above ground. Yeah, I think I think it's gonna get pretty brutal soon. And then I guess you can make the argument if like climate change is gonna kill us all in thirty years, like maybe it is bad. So I don't know. What do you think on that one? I think I think overall it's bad. I think we've gotten to a point where I think the ne- this is like this is going to sound like a bit like a uh, uh, woo woo, but okay. I think the next step in human evolution really is the ability to process all of this information. Oh yeah, because I think and- that we're not. I don't think that like like biologically or chemically, however you want to say it, mm-hmm. I don't think our brains throughout the history of time have ever been prepared to just handle this much stimuli. Right, and I think unfortunately. Our generation, in a lot of ways, has kind of been the guinea pig. We're like the first generation that really grew up in the internet age. The internet's not good for us. And I I really wish that we could turn it back to where, like, it's great that there is information out there, but honestly, man, like, deregulating any type of information has, it's proven to be a bad thing. It's putting us in a bad place. And I don't, I also think that, like, the reason that we have, so much mental illness mm-hmm. uh, for our generation is because we are too stimulated. We're not the yeah. type of people that like can just sit down and read a book. Like we need to have something in front of us at all times, and that's the norm now. Right. You know. And I think even if you look at it as like evolution is an interesting word to use because you can even look at it as like the amount of human machine, almost like gene combination that's going to be happening. You know, like. Like my phone, I never don't have my phone. It's like literally right. you can argue I am – this is part of yes. me. Yes, What is different than if I put this inside of my head? Yes. There's really almost no difference. 100%. So I am almost kind of part machine at this point. I agree, man. Yeah. I agree. Uh, overall – It's a weird thing to think about. Yeah. Uh, let's move on here. Gary V. Now again, <laughs> if we don't like him <laughs> – <laughs> if we don't like him, he's not dead. We just don't know right. about him. He's just not. Yeah, he's he's selling wine on a street corner somewhere. Yeah. Um, yeah, I agree. I agree he would be better without Gary Vee. I and think so too. everyone like Gary Vee. <laughs> yeah, I, because, I think that it's – go ahead. Yeah, he's, he peddles in the stuff that keeps us down, I think. He peddles yes. in the idea of the American dream, like hustle culture type stuff. I, I think I even tweeted this the other day. It was like – it was like – in quotes, I'm fi- I'm fixing to build an empire, and yeah. attributed to guy who can barely make medium like medium age income. Yeah, yeah. And there's a lot of people. I I, I don't like anybody that is selling uh, selling an ideal. It's yeah. uh, politicians included. Like I just don't think that it 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 works for most people. They just can't comprehend. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a crazy guy who has this crazy finesse and char- uh, charisma, and it just doesn't work for everybody. Like, right. like a lot of people are just suckers, and they fall for it, and they buy the DVDs. I, listen, and- I love watching it. I'll watch it and be like, "He's right. I got a, I got a hustle culture." You know? Yeah. But then you you think about it, it's like there's just so many people who are in in escapable circumstances. I know. For the most <laughs> Impossible. part. Impossible. You're not going to be able to start flipping sneakers or, or baseball cards and yeah. just turn it into a fucking become a billionaire, you most know. It of just the doesn't happen. It's like barely surviving, you yeah. know. Yeah. And yeah. that's fine for them, like, you right. know, like that's just their existence is trying to get by. Yeah. Uh all right, moving on, the stock market. Would the world be a better place without the stock market? A 100%. Yeah. 
Again, I, I think it also uh, plays into it kind of piggybacks the Gary Vee thing. A lot mm. of people, especially right now, uh, we're fucking up our economy by having people like you and I be able to go in and buy stocks uh, just like willy nilly. Like it, well, it's, you know what's it's, you know what's even funny is that people say that, and it's like so businesses just got to do the same thing for a hundred years. The minute I, we start doing something, it's a problem, you know? I, I know, but the thing – I yes, it's a catch-22 because right. I agree that we should have the freedom to do that. But it fucks up the way things work because businesses uh, – we're not trained in this. And right. people are going to lose – this is what happened with uh, during the, the first – Stock market crash, the Great Depression. Right. It's like people were able to start putting their money and they had no idea what they were doing because they were uneducated. Right. And then everything falls apart, you know? Because the thing is, man, like uh, my 10 grand or 11 grand that's in the stock market right now is mm-hmm. peanuts compared to hedge funds and all these other places sure. that have big money in there. The minute they pull out, oh, dude, we're right. fucked. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I that's just, the thing. I just think it's like I can't. I, Grant, I'm not the smartest guy about financial stuff. I've never been able to find somebody to explain to me what the stock market does. Yes. That does that doesn't sound like a scam. Yes. Like it's all, I agree. It's all pretend. Like I, what is the difference between the stock market and an NFT? I don't think anybody could tell me. I, I don't. I don't understand. It's it's no different than gambling, dude. Yeah. It's sports gambling, really. Yeah. The difference is at least sports gambling. There's a hard outcome. It's like right. if you bet, uh, you know, uh, if I'm taking the Jets uh, plus one twenty, like if the Jets don't cover that, like. Yeah. I know that I know why I lost my money. Whereas mm-hmm. like when I just like open up my Robinhood app every day, I'm just sort of like, why am I down 20% today? Like, mm-hmm. can anybody tell me like, oh, oh, this company like did a merger with like, it doesn't yeah. make any sense. And meanwhile, no rich people have like lost their money in the stock market. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> totally. All right. Next one. Political parties. Yeah, I think so. I think the world would be better without political parties. I do. I mean, I can't really. What is the advantage of a political party, really? You know, I think that if you are the, the advantage of a political party is for the politician. Yeah, I, I think, think so. that it's yeah. if you're you can hide if you can group. Yes, you can group yeah. people together and say I'm your guy. But right. for us, I think that it really fucks things up. And it it if if you are a thoughtful person that. Mm-hmm. can make your own decision. I think it makes it bad because it's everything that we've talked about with like people being pissed that like you didn't vote for Hillary Clinton or whatever. All of a right. sudden like you're a bad democrat or a bad liberal and you know, you're made to be uh like a villain almost, you right. know? Yeah, I even I I go a step further. I kind of think like the United States shouldn't even be like a whole country, you know? Oh, yeah. I kind of think it should be split, not into every state because there's some states that are too small, but like maybe like five sections of America would be pretty tight. Yes. You know, the and the then Northeast. I think we'd all be relatively chill with each other. Yeah, man. Texas is different than New York. Right, it's just exactly. the way it is. You yeah. guys should have guns. We shouldn't. That's there's the, no the way. Like, people are like, you shouldn't have guns. It's like, dude, I can't. I couldn't shoot somebody from where I'm at right now. Yeah. The yeah. bullet would hit the ground before I got to the nearest house. What are you talking yeah. about? Yeah. 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 Very different places. I agree with you 100%. If somebody comes to my house, the cops live in two hours away. You know? <laughs> yeah. I need a gun. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, all right. Um, pronouns. Would the world be a better place without pronouns? Like he, she, stuff yeah. like that? Just uh, generally speaking. I mean, I guess if there were no pronouns, it would probably... Like I've read stuff about how language does shape thought. Mm-hmm. If there was no pronouns, there probably would be a little less separation between the sexes. 
Um, like we'd view it more as like just one cohesive thing. I guess it would be better without pronouns. I don't think I would say that, but probably, yeah. Yeah, it's an interesting one uh, because I I don't know. I, usually, the the people that are like, "Fuck that! That shit's stupid." Right. Are usually people that I don't like to hear opinions from anyway. <laughs> um, I don't seem to. I don't really have much of a problem with it. Uh, right. It's like the way things are going, and it's like like I don't know. Yeah, maybe maybe the maybe the dropping of the pronouns influences people to pursue more fluid sexuality and sexual I think identities. So, yeah, but. I don't know that that I don't think that's a bad thing. I just think that's sort of like the way, you know. Yeah, I don't think it's a bad thing either. You know, you it's almost like a Native American tribe. They don't. They just like don't even have sexes anymore. They're just all yeah. like they all identify as like part of the the forest or whatever. Oh, yeah, nature. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I yeah. think it's a beautiful way to go. I could chill with that a hundred percent. Yeah. yeah. Uh, would the world be a better place without body positivity? Oof. Gosh, you know that's a hard one. As a as a as a overweight man, you're coming for my heart right now, <laughs> my clogged up heart. Uh, Answer before you die. That's <laughs> heart attack. But did you see my heart explode out of my chest like alien? Um, you know, I. Th- it's it's really a double edged sword. I hate that term, but it's like you know the people who when you say body positivity, mm-hmm. the first thing I think of is somebody who weighs six hundred pounds and being like, "I'm beautiful, girl." That's usually like that what I'm thing. thinking. Yeah. Um, I don't think that is good because I do think, you know, people's health is important. Um, but also at the same time, people really hate themselves over their bodies, you know? Mm. I'm going to say no. It wouldn't be a better place without it. Cause I Interesting. Think, I don't know. It's God, it's so hard. Because it's just like... I think people should like themselves regardless of how they look because that's really tough on a lot of, you know what? This is actually just too personal to me because I used to have <laughs> eating disorders for this years. This is why I asked you also, because yeah, yeah. I know that it, it's, it's complicated because you've dealt with this. Uh, <laughs> I would probably say no, I would probably say no, but I am admitting that I'm coming from a large place of bias. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. What are, what are, what are your thoughts? And I'm if you on disagree, the fence. Please let me know. I don't necessarily disagree. My thought on it is um, the last like 100 years is mm-hmm. probably the first time in, in human history where we didn't use our bodies. And I don't even know about the last 100 years, but like right. you think about the lives that we live now, it's all on a laptop. It's all like kind of, yeah. especially the work from home thing. We're just sitting here. We're not really like Stuff you have to make time. For. Right, right, yeah. right. And I think that that's part of the thing. Like the idea of body positivity wouldn't have existed at a time where people had to use their bodies every day to survive. Right. I survives the word, I guess. You know, like because most of human history, there was only like four fat people. Dude, yeah, it's like you yeah. worked on a farm, or you worked like you worked with your hands doing like some sort of craft, like. Right. Or you were in the military or like whatever, you know, if you like were, you, if you were fat, like you could almost be famous. Like that could be your career. <laughs> yeah. And, and that fat. was like, that was like a sign of wealth where it was just like, dude, mm-hmm. this guy is so rich. Look how fat he is. Look how fat he is. Sick. I want to be that guy when I grow up. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He can barely walk. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I think it's a tricky thing that, that like, I think that the, 
the weight thing is a sign that you need to make some sort of change. I don't think right. that you should hate your body, but like, I do think that we are sleeping on the idea that like you got to be healthy. And yes, yeah, sometimes you can get overloaded, and it's a you need to take a break. But like, I don't know that it's like a like we. Sh- I don't know that we should glamorize um, like. Because, dude, I yeah, yes, I feel terrible. I've been fat before. I was right. fat dirt like before the pandemic started, or like unhealthy weight. Yeah, you know, and, like well, you, you really, feel bad. Yeah, you really when when you do say pos- body positivity, it is just the people who really do need to get healthy. Yeah, nobody nobody twenty pounds overweight is talking about body positivity. You know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like I'm not talking. It's always a thing. A friend pointed this out to me recently, where I was like, I don't know why I'm so self defensive about my weight. Like I still. Like, get laid. Like, I can have sex with relatively attractive people. Like, I'm a tall guy. Yeah. And he was like, he's like, because you're not crazy big. Yeah. He goes, the people who get upset about their weight are either people who are, like, like if you call somebody fat, the only people who get upset are people who are really skinny or people who are really big. Mm-hmm. Or no, sorry, the, part, the only people who get mad are people who are in the borderline. Because really skinny people are like, no, what are you talking about? I'm like, real thin. Yeah, and really fat people are like, well, duh. The people, who, the people who thought they were passing until they yeah. see themselves in a car window. Yeah, those are the people who are like, like, oh, sh- like, oh, they can see, you know. Yeah, yeah. In yeah. your head, yeah. you imagine yourself as a skinny person. So. Yeah, yeah, as a stud. Yeah. So you know, you actually talk me in. I'll change my mind on that. I will. You know. I flipped you. Whoa. Yeah, you flipped me. Yeah. <laughs> All right, last one, okay. uh, and I'm asking this question on a podcast, but okay. um, our podcasts, would the world be a better place without podcasts? Stand-up would be a lot better, for sure. <laughs> I think it would be an old positive on that. I think podcasts are ultimately, yeah, I think they're good, because if anything, the conversations that happen on podcasts have a lot more nuance, I think, than anything you would see online, mm-hmm. other than podcasts. And I mean, I know even like, like I shit on Rogan, you know, now just for being silly, but like, you know, he really got me into a lot of stuff like fitness and shrooms, like a lot of stuff that changed my life. You know, mm-hmm. I wouldn't have access to that knowledge previously. So I, th- I think they're ultimately good. Yeah, I think they're good. Yeah. I I'm on the fence. The one thing I don't like about it, and I'm not like a regulation person. I don't necessarily think mm-hmm. it's good. But you saw it even just a couple of weeks ago where Rogan got heat for saying, you know, I, I wouldn't take the vaccine, and right. that became this this issue where the fucking president was like, Joe, please walk this right. back. Yeah, <laughs> you know, Biden's going on Rogan. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just like. I think that that aspect of it is a bit frightening where you mm-hmm. just have people that haven't really gone through like the one good thing about regulation in journalism and media was that at a certain time you had a training where there was like sort of like a code right. where it was like there was an ethical responsibility to what type of information reached people. Right. Um, and I think podcasters are more in the camp like, fuck it, man, I'm going to just say it. And that's for sure. That's not necessarily the bad thing, but I think the bad thing is the public um, taking Joe Rogan seriously. Right. You know? I, I do think, because here's my thing on comedy, I'm not really a regulation guy either. The only thing I think should be regulated is stand-up comedy <laughs> and doing any type of comedy podcast or anything. Yeah. And I re- this is my honestly real opinion, is that it should be run by me only. <laughs> And it should be the, just the comedy czar. Just the comedy czar. It should be run by an AI because I'm I don't want to do that much work. Yeah. It's based off of my brain. And then once a year, it just like somebody goes Joe Rogan's podcast. I'm like, 
Uh, yeah, he's fine. And then somebody's like, Cameron Esposito. I'm like, absolutely not. <laughs> Goodbye. And then somebody's like, Owen Benjamin. I'm like, no again. No more comedy. It's like very, it's very easy to pass. Yeah. And then it even goes down to open mic levels where I'm like, you know, some guy I'm not going to name. And I'm like, 100% not. 100% not. But like somebody I've seen do well twice. Yeah. Whatever, yeah. they can keep doing it. Yeah. yeah, right, right. Everybody else, go get a job at AutoZone. Get yeah, not the guy who did heroin in the bathroom and said he was God until the, <laughs> the, the show got canceled forever, or the mic got canceled forever. <laughs> All right, Jace, thank you so much for being here. Oh, I have one more quick, okay. very quick question for you before we get okay. out of here. From a Texas boy, right. who's the more important George? George Jones or George Strait? George Jones or George Strait? I never liked... This is kind of blasphemy in Texas. I did not like 90s country. Okay. So I would say George Jones all the way. Fuck yeah. Yeah. George, like that 90s country is just always like a little bit of like, well, it's the exact same song over and over yeah. again. Yeah, a lot and of it. we're not really singing about anything. <laughs> you want that country where it was like guys who legitimately were horrific people and did terrible oh. things. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No yeah. show Jones, baby. Yeah, exactly. He did my so vote much cocaine, well. he had an alter ego that was a duck. Yeah. yeah, pretty sick. Yeah, pretty sick stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Jace Avery, uh, just plug whatever you want before we get out of here. Uh, I guess you can follow me on Instagram, Sad Drawings by Jace. And if you want to hear me talk way too much about politics, I have an old podcast, like you said, Brain Jail. You can go check out. And it's my brother Ben from the Tim Dillon Show and our friend Kevin, and we used to do it back in L.A. Fucking A, man. Jace, you were awesome. Thank you so much for being here. Yeah, to the listeners. Fine. Uh, do what you do best. Tell a friend, subscribe, rate, review, uh, all that stuff. You can find me at Mike Coscarelli on all social platforms. You can find Ronnie at Ronnie side on Instagram, and we'll see you next week with more awesome bullshit until then. Goodbye. Mike Coscarelli rules is hosted by Mike Coscarelli executive producer, Mike Coscarelli supervising producer, Mike Coscarelli associate producer, Ronnie side. Edited by Mike Coscarelli. Sound design by Mike Coscarelli. Podcast and social artwork by Chris Cheney. Special thanks to all the losers and the haters. Hey.